Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 67 today. Psalm 67. Thank you, Cliff, for filling in today. Thank you to our worship team. We appreciate you guys. Well, as you turn to that spot in your Bibles, let me just say we had a fanta- fan, excuse me, fantastic vacation Bible school this week. Uh, because of COVID, we had not had a regular BBS here at Selmore since 2019. So it was truly a blessing to have 55 young people here in our building this week that we got to love on and disciple. The theme for VBS this past week was the gospel is good news. Every night our kids heard the good news that even though we're all sinners worthy of death, God loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place for our sin and he raised him on the third day so that anyone who repents of their sin and believes upon Jesus calling upon his name shall be saved. By the way, that's not just good news for kids. That's good news for everyone, every single person here today. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want to say thank you to Ms. Pam, our director, Pastor Aragon, and all of our volunteers, and especially our youth who led the singing and performed the skit each and every night. We are very proud of them. As most of you know, this summer we are spending some time in the book of Psalms on Sunday mornings, looking at 11 individual Psalms over the course of this series. Today is sermon number 7 of the 11, in which we will look at what has been called the Great Missionary Psalm, Psalm 67. The reason that this psalm is referred to as a missionary psalm is because it speaks to the end goal of missions. It speaks to the end goal of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, Josh, what is that goal? I'm glad you asked. That goal, the goal of missions, is that a remnant of people from every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth would come to know and worship Jesus Christ as their king. That's why we engage in missions. That's why we pray and give and go and disciple because Jesus is worthy of all the worship of all the peoples of the earth. That's what this psalm will articulate for us this morning. The title of today's sermon is Let the Nations Be Glad. Now, before we get to the content of the psalm, I want to say just a brief word about its literary structure or how it's organized. And I know that you guys already are on the edge of your seats because that sounds so exciting and so fascinating. But it actually really is interesting. This psalm is what is known as a chiasm. A chiasm is a truth expressed in an outside-in, inside-out format. For instance, here's an example of a chiasm. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Outside in, inside out. The first half of the saying is mirrored in the second half. It's just flipped 
and it's symmetrical. Here's another example. If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Outside in, inside out. Now here's the deal. Many psalms are written in this format. Why? There's a big difference between how eastern people, like the psalmist, think and how western people, like you and I, think. Western people tend to be linear thinkers. We follow a teaching from beginning to end, and we expect the moral of the story to be at the conclusion. This is how our books, our television shows, our movies, etc., are all structured. It looks something like this if we put it on the screen. Truth A leads to truth B, which leads to moral C. But Eastern people don't necessarily think that way. So in Eastern literature, such as the Psalms, we find that the moral of the story is often in the middle with a chiasm sandwiching it on either side. Thus, it looks more like this. Truth A leads to truth B, leads to moral C, then back to truth B, then back to truth A. The structure you see on the screen is the structure of Psalm 67. The moral or underlying theme of the psalm is found in the middle verse, verse 4. Whereas verses 1, 2, and 3 leading up to verse 4 are then mirrored by verses 5, 6, and 7. So we'll explore this more as we go along this morning. To be certain, the most important part of this psalm is not its structure, but its content. What it's saying to us. What it's teaching us. But I wanted you to see the structure because, one, I think it's fascinating. And two, because it's helpful for us in grasping the main point of the psalm. With that being said, let's begin reading this great missionary psalm. And we'll start with verses 1 and 2, which comprise what I'm going to call truth A. Here's what these verses say. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. All right, truth A that we see in these two verses is this. The blessings of God on his people result in the spread of the gospel. The blessings of God on his people result in the spread of the gospel. The psalmist begins verse 1 by quoting a passage from the law that every good Hebrew would know. The quote comes from Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. In that passage, the Lord gives Moses instructions for how the priests are to verbally bless the children of Israel. Now, I want you to listen to these words. These are the words that the priest would say over the people. Just let them wash over you, all right? Listen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's it. What a beautiful little prayer that is. What a beautiful blessing If you're like me, you hear those words and your blood pressure just immediately drops. Peace floods into your heart. Those are life-giving words, the words of God. Those words remind us that 
We serve a God who is good, who is rich in mercy and grace, and a God who delights in blessing his children. Oh my goodness, our Father is so loving. He is so benevolent. He is so kind to us. He gives us everything we need. The question is not, is God good? We know that God is good all the time. Rather, the question is, what should our response be to the goodness of God shown toward us? And we find the answer to that question in verse 2. The reason that God is merciful to his children and blesses us the way that he does is not so that we can heap those blessings up and keep them all to ourselves. That's not it at all. The reason God blesses us, the reason that God shines his face upon us is so that we might in turn reflect his mercy and his grace onto others. As it says in verse 2, that his way may be known on the earth, that his salvation may be known among all nations. As New Testament Christians, the primary way that we accomplish verse 2 is by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, by taking to all the people of the earth the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sin and that all are invited to come and take the water of life freely. To state it another way, God does not bless his people so that we can build bigger houses and buy fancier cars and accumulate more and more stuff for ourselves. God blesses his people so that we might use those resources to preach the good news to the nations. In this way, the blessings of God on his people result in the spread of the gospel. That's the way it should be. That's the way that God designed it. Dear Christian, I would just ask you this morning, how are you doing at this? Are you utilizing the blessings of God on your life to make him known on the earth, to make him known to those in your neighborhood and to those in the nations. You say, Josh, how do I do that? Well, let me give you some suggestions. First of all, we do that by giving our tithes and offerings to the spread of the gospel consistently and sacrificially through our local church. Every time you put money in the offering plate in this church, you are literally funding thousands of missionaries all over the world, including ministries right here in our own state and in our own community. We should all be giving faithfully of our finances to the Lord's work, as the Bible clearly calls us to do. But it's more than that as well. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. For instance... Are you serving as a missionary where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you shop, using your resources to share the good news of Jesus wherever you go? Are you ministering to your neighbor? Are you serving as the hands and feet of Jesus in your local community, meeting needs as God makes you aware? How about this? Are you opening up your home to serve others? to disciple others, to share the gospel. One man has said, for most of us, the most valuable resource the Lord will ever give us for ministry is our own home. And yet, typically, we keep it to ourselves, rarely using it for the Lord's work. 
The point is, God does not bless us so that we can be a dam holding back all of those blessings for ourselves. God blesses us so that we can be a conduit, taking the blessings he's giving us and pouring them out for others in the name of Jesus that they might come to know him as their savior. The blessings of God on his people should result in the spread of the gospel. That's truth A. Now, let's read verse 3, and we'll look at what I'm going to refer to as truth B. Verse 3 simply says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Truth B is this, the spread of the gospel results in the worship of the peoples of the earth. As the psalmist prays in verse 2 for the way of God to be known on the earth and for his salvation to be known among all nations, it directly leads to his prayer in verse 3 that the peoples of the world, indeed all the peoples, it says, would praise God. Thus, the psalmist makes a very important connection for us here that we must not miss. The connection is this. Missions, the spread of the gospel, leads to worship. To put it another way, worship is the highest aim and the end result of missions. In other words, as we Christians are faithful to make God known on the earth, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit will bless and use our efforts to bring increasing numbers of people into the worship of God to praise Him as their Lord and Savior. We know this is true because the Bible says the Word of God does not return void. It always accomplishes what God sends it forth to accomplish. Thus, as we are faithful to spread the Word, God is faithful to draw men and women, boys and girls, to Himself. One man has famously articulated the correlation between missions and worship this way. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Why do we spread the gospel? The answer is in verse 3, that the people of the world might praise God as their Lord and King. Now, as we approach verse 4, we come here to the moral, or we might say the key theme of the passage. Verse 4 is the heart of this text. Verse 4 is what Psalm 67 is all about in a nutshell. So let's read now verse 4. It says this, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. So the moral of this passage, the key underlying theme is let the nations be glad. Let's recap briefly how we got to this point. As God blesses his people, they spread the gospel. As the church spreads the gospel, the peoples of the earth come into the worship of God. 
And guess what? When anyone comes to know the true and living God and comes to worship him as their king, there is great gladness and there is great joy that follows. Since the very beginning of time, since the fall of man, the nations of this world have been in constant conflict and turmoil and confusion. Nations waging war against one another, suffering pestilence and famine and hardship, struggling under the heavy burden of wicked rulers. All of these things are part of life in a fallen world. But the peoples of the earth who know Jesus, in spite of all the turmoil swirling around them, are glad and they sing for joy. Because they know that there is a day coming when the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord, and he will reign forever and ever. The peoples of the earth who know Jesus are glad and they sing for joy because they know, as verse 4 says, that he is a righteous judge who one day will make every wrong right, and he will govern the nations of the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. That day is coming. When Jesus returns, he will make all things new. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it, depicting Jesus as the great lion Aslan. Lewis writes, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. That day is coming. That's why the nations can be glad and sing for joy. Jesus is coming back to establish his eternal kingdom. And in that kingdom, there will be representation from every nation, every ethnos, every people group on the earth. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. We see this future reality depicted in Revelation 7, where the apostle John writes, after these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. This is the heartbeat of Psalm 67. Well, we've worked outside in to the moral, to the central theme of our passage. Let's now work our way back inside out. Let's read verse 5, and it's going to sound familiar. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5, of course, mirrors verse 3. This is a restating of truth B. The spread of the gospel results in the worship, results in the praise of the peoples of the earth. Again, this is the goal and fuel of missions that all people might enter into the praise and worship of Almighty God. Let me ask you a question this morning. We'll make this just a little more personal. Are you among the peoples mentioned in verse 5? Is it talking about you? 
Are you among the peoples giving praise to God? Because when it talks about praise, it's not just talking about lip service. It's talking about genuine praise that comes from a heart that has been truly surrendered to the Lord. Have you admitted to God that you're a sinner? Have you believed upon Jesus on his sacrificial death and and resurrection from the grave? Have you committed your life to him, calling on him to save you? If not, you can do that today. You can do that right now. Ask him to save you and he will. Then and only then can you praise him as he desires to be praised and as he requires to be praised. Not just from your lips, but from your heart. And then finally we come to verses 6 and 7, which again mirror verses 1 and 2, although they restate it. Verses 6 and 7 say, Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. As in verses 1 through 2, what we see here is the blessing of God resulting in the spread of the gospel. As God pours out his blessing on his people, causing the earth to yield its fruit, the result is that more people come to know the Lord. Verse 7 says, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Again, the blessings of God on his people should always result in the spread of the gospel. Christian, I encourage you to be honest with yourself on this point. When you look at the myriad of ways that God has blessed you, are you stewarding those blessings in such a way that more people in this world will know the love of God and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? If that's not the case, you need to recommit yourself today to being a conduit of God's blessing onto others, that his way may be known on the earth, that his salvation may be known among the nations through you. As we come to a time of response this morning, my prayer is that all of us have been challenged today by this great missionary psalm. My prayer is that we've been challenged to use our blessings and our resources to spread the gospel so that others may come, may join us in the worship of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is not only that you would be challenged, but also that you would be encouraged. For when verse 4 says, let the nations be glad, guess what? It's not just talking about those people over there. It's talking about us. The nations include us. For those of us who know Jesus, we can be glad. We can sing for joy. Because one day, he will return and he will make all things new. He will be the righteous judge. He will be the great king over all the earth. In that knowledge, there is great gladness and great joy. I hope that you know the joy of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want that joy, I'll say one more time, God offers it to all freely. Turn from your sin. Believe on Jesus. Call on him to save you, and he will. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for this psalm that we have looked at today. We thank you, Lord, for the challenge that it gives us that each of us as believers are to be involved in the Great Commission. We're to take the blessings you've given us and use those to take the gospel out. Help us, God, to be obedient to that, both as individuals and as a church. Lord, it is also a psalm of encouragement. For if we know you, we do have reason for gladness. We do have reason for great joy. Help us, Lord, to exhibit that in everything we do every single day. God, we love you so much. I pray now that you would have your way in this time of response. If there is anyone here this morning that you are convicting of their sin, convicting them of their need for a Savior, I pray that you would give them the courage to step out and come during our closing song and publicly commit their life to you. Or we give this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.